Sean Hannity Show. More behind-the-scenes information on breaking news and more bold, inspired solutions for America. Live from the Hill, our very own Jamie Dupree with the latest news from D.C. All right, he's the most connected man in Washington, D.C. Our very own Jamie Dupree is stationed. Hey, now, you're going out to Boulder. I am, yes. Uh, good for you. Uh, and we'll get a play-by-play while you're out there tomorrow. And are you coming back Thursday? When are you coming back? Uh, hopefully I can be on that. I think I can be on the show with you before I even get on the plane. I got a late plane going out of Denver. Oh, nice. All right. That sounds good. All right. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about what we expect from the debate. We've had some changing poll numbers today. Overall, I think that Trump still leads when you look at the real clear politics average. But in Iowa and one national poll now has Carson ahead. Yeah, just one national poll. I mean, you know, it could be an outlier. Then again, it could be that the, uh, uh, the Iowa polls, four of them in recent days that have shown Carson ahead, maybe some change is occurring nationally. I, to me, it doesn't really matter at this point. Uh, my thought is, will Trump and Carson engage at all up on the stage? They'll be next to each other again tomorrow night. You know, in the first two debates, I went back and looked, and there really wasn't, they didn't really go at it. Trump was focusing on other people. Will that change at all? I mean, I don't expect Carson to go after Trump, but maybe Trump directs a little more of his fire at Ben Carson. I mean, Trump, every single time somebody is sort of nudged closer to him, has sprayed some fire at them, and, and maybe he turns his rhetoric a little there. Or, you know, you never know, Trump might decide that it's a good night to punch on Jeb Bush and try to knock him out totally from uh, from this race at this point or, in time. Or maybe he surprises people and maybe gets more substantive and doesn't go after anybody. I mean, who knows? I mean, that is a possibility uh, that a lot of this you don't should see, be You focused. don't seem convinced. That's pretty funny. Uh, no, I, I don't, because that's not him. It's uh, Substantive stuff is not him, and I don't mean that in a bad way. That's just not the way, you know, it's it's more about Trump than it is about his policies and, and about how he would do things differently. So, uh, look, it's, it's the same format again. We'll have four at the pre-debate debate. We'll have ten up on the main stage, and as we've seen, Sean, each one of these debates has certainly caused something else to happen within the Republican field. One of the things I've been telling the audience from the beginning is that there is an ebb and flow to all of this. If, if anything is a little out of sync, it's the fact that for over 100 days, Donald Trump has led in every poll. That is the anomaly. And I keep pointing out that polls go up and go down and, and there are adjustments and, and certain things happen and people fall and they get back up and recover and other people fall and they never get up and they never recover. And it's it's part of the process that people like you and me have been following now for our entire adult lives. So none of this surprises me, and I would expect that there'd be more fluidity um, uh, to the process as we move forward because, you know, voters are now going to start really engaging. And we've got another debate two weeks from today, in fact, on the Republican side in Milwaukee. So we'll have two chances within two weeks to see everybody together. Uh, on the other side, uh, two new polls that have come out yesterday and today nationally. Hillary Clinton, I think, in Iowa had a 34-point lead in one of them and a 41-point lead in the other. So I don't know if this is an indicator that she's really received a big bounce in the wake of not only the debate in Vegas earlier this month, not only the Benghazi testimony, but the fact that Biden didn't get in, uh, the fact that uh, Jim Webb and Lincoln Chafee got out. Maybe she's seeing her support really consolidate behind her right now. It's good new, good numbers for her, both nationally and in Iowa the last few days. Uh, yeah, but I mean, people are saying, wow, that's the greatest week of her campaign, and I just keep looking at it, and I'm thinking about the campaign ads, as I mentioned yesterday, that will come out of that hearing, which I think could be very devastating if they were done properly, and 
and one week does not make a candidacy. To oh, no, it my- certainly doesn't. But, uh, you know, compared to some of the missteps and the, um, you know, the, the just awful times that she had in the summer, certainly this has been her best time of the last few months. There's no doubt about it. The comments of Lindsey Graham irk me somewhat. Um, obviously, he's very frustrated. What is he at the bottom? Does he have one or two percent max in the polls? Uh, not even that. Not, not even not, that. He not was lucky that. to get into this debate. He got one percent in one poll, and that qualified him. All right. So one percent was the threshold. He barely gets into the undercard debate, and he goes out there recalling, you know, Ben Carson's youth for crying out loud. Now he's talked about. It. I think his youth is quite inspiring. Where he was getting in trouble, his mother took away the TV, made him read books, kept him inside, kept him away from his friends in the neighborhood, and all of a sudden he becomes one of the great surgeons of all time, neurosurgeons of all time. And he goes on our side. You got the number two guy tried to kill someone at fourteen, and the number one guy is high energy and crazy as hell. And I'm thinking you know, it's it's great for you at one percent. You know, obviously nobody likes you that much either. The the two undercard debates so far, what have they produced? The first debate, uh, Carly Fiorina got a lot of attention, but then was uh, seemingly unable to capitalize on that after the second debate. Nothing really happened memorable in the second debate undercard. And with the same four debating again this time, it may well be that it's sort of the same outcome. I had somebody email me, in fact, from Iowa uh, today telling me that uh, they'd uh, gone by and seen a Santorum get-together in Iowa the other day. Very few people there, not much interest. So, you know, obviously the Santorum, Graham, Bobby Jindal, you know, that group having difficulty getting attention overall and you know, you just have to wonder in the future debates, will there be that undercard still there, or are we going to see the main stage get a little smaller as well? Well, I think at some point some of these guys are going to have to drop out. I would expect after Iowa, you might get a dropout or two, but really after New Hampshire, you'll see this get thinned out probably to the level it should be at. Yeah, I would think uh, we're getting there pretty quick, yes. Yeah. All right, so we have this budget deal, and I know you and know you well, and you probably took time to actually read through it. It was dumped I on did. the public at, what, 12 midnight last night? Yes, 12 midnight is when it came out, and I think it surprised a number of lawmakers who really didn't think that Speaker Boehner was going to follow through on his pledge to clean out the barn. Let me just run through real quick some of the basic bullet points. It would pump $80 billion more into the budget, the discretionary budget, that would be divided evenly between the military and domestic programs. It's a basic political deal here. The Republicans wanted more for the military. The Democrats said, you're not getting that unless you give us more for domestic, so that's what happened. The extra spending would be offset by a series of one-time and also long-term savings in when it comes to entitlements. This is the second time now, if you include 2011, uh, actually the third time in the 2013 budget deal, where the Republicans have been able to get uh, reductions uh, in spending without having to to agree to tax increases from the Democrats. Now, uh, obviously, a lot of conservatives, and I spoke to a number of them today in the hall from the Republican side, are not pleased with this on a number of reasons. They don't like the domestic spending. They're not convinced that some of the reforms like crop insurance uh, changes might hurt their farmers back home. They don't like this being dropped on them at the last minute. So they're not inclined to vote for this. But uh, even some of those more conservative Freedom Caucus guys, when asked, said they thought this would be approved by the House as early as tomorrow. Uh, in the end, is it perfect? No, I don't think anybody would say that. But what Boehner, Speaker Boehner, argued today, uh, his argument was it's better than just raising the debt limit and then being done with it. At least you get something overall in terms of more money for defense and some plans for uh, for entitlement reform. But the president the got his clean debt ceiling, debt increase. Sure, yeah. You know, well, everybody's got to get something. I mean, you've got divided government. So uh, either, you know, in the end, if you're going to have a deal, one party's going to get something and the other party's going to get something as well. Yeah, well, I think I agree with those people. People. You know, what bothers me and frustrates me is they all go out there and they act like this is a, a big deficit reduction deal. And you know what? Deficit-
deficit reduction, okay, but debt increasing continues. Sure. And so, yeah. Here, since 2011, we had that first debt deal, remember, at the yep. last minute? Then in 2013, we had which uh, a very similar to this plan, the so-called Ryan Murray deal negotiated by Paul Ryan and Senator Patty Murray, the Democrat of Washington State. And so this, this deal is a lot like Ryan Murray. Since the 2011 debt limit deal, the federal budget deficit was at $1.09 trillion in 2012, it dropped to 680, $680 billion in 2013, dropped to $483 billion in 2014, and down to $439 billion in 2015. I'm not saying that these deals did that, that there's a direct link, but you can see that the deficit, the yearly deficit is still there, but it has come down. During that time frame, under this plan, the discretionary budget, which is everything except Social Security and Medicare, everything except the entitlements, it's not even a third of the budget anymore, this is the part that Congress directly uh, uh, can pay attention to each year. The discretionary budget will, under this plan, have gone from $1.043 trillion to $1.070. So it goes up $27 billion in six years. And really, when you get down to it, that's not that big of an increase. I know that uh, it's not exactly what Republicans want, but when you look at it, I think some of the GOP would argue that they've been able to hold back on what it would have been much bigger increases. And frankly, these numbers actually, Sean, are less than the 2011 budget that was put forward by Paul Ryan. All right. So Paul Ryan was critical of the entire process. John Boehner had a press conference today and agreed with Ryan, but Ryan yep. has been pretty silent on the deal itself. Do we know where he stands? No, I think a lot of people expect that he might vote against it. I did think it was somewhat ironic to hear him say in the hallway that uh, he didn't like the process of this when it was pretty much identical to what had gone on uh, two years ago. The only difference was we knew that he was negotiating with Patty Murray over a lengthy period of time, just that everybody kept the their mouth shut and really didn't leak anything out. The difference in this one was people knew that Boehner was trying to do it, but a lot of people had sort of said, ah, he's never going to get that done. And then suddenly the final product was dumped out. But if you look at this agreement today, the Boehner White House agreement versus Ryan Murray two years ago, I'd argue that they're pretty much the same type of framework. So and this is pretty much a two-year deal. So this yes. t this takes us to the end of Obama's presidency. Yes, and, in, and, and into the next one. So what it does is it sets the top line number for how much could be spent in the discretionary budget, the details of which, you know, whether you have riders on Planned Parenthood, riders on the EPA, all uh, that still has to be worked out in what's uh, what's likely to be known as the omnibus that would have to be passed later this year by December the 11th, or else we'd have a government shutdown. But I think the chances of that shutdown are much less if you have a top-line agreement on the budget number for this year and next year. Now, Daniel Webster is still staying in the race for yep. Speaker. Uh, we had Jim Jordan on right after you were on the program yesterday, and he talked about a supermajority of Freedom Caucus members, <coughs> excuse me, giving their support to Ryan. Uh, Ryan, I guess, is so confident uh, about Thursday's vote that they have actually put out a celebration invitation to every member of Congress, so that's not a... That's not a vote that's going to be in question. The question is, how many votes will he actually get? Yeah, I think that's the only thing. I mean, I, I would bet there's at least a dozen people, maybe, who don't vote for um, for Ryan and vote for Webster. Could be a little more, could be a little less, but there are a few. I mean, Tom Massey of Kentucky, I spoke with him this morning. He's still aggravated with not only uh, Ryan replacing Boehner, but aggravated with this budget deal. He all but said he thought that Ryan was actually in on this and, and isn't telling, isn't being straight with people about it. So there are some people who are not pleased with uh, Ryan replacing Boehner. But uh, Ryan, for now, has been able to win over a lot of the Freedom Caucus guys. But I don't think that that is, look, if he starts venturing into territory or doing things or not being aggressive enough or not really following their lead and getting to places where they don't like, I, I don't 
think that it's out of the realm of possibility that a number of them could swing back and say, hey, don't forget about us. Uh, come on. You know, we got to get back over here and cause some showdowns like we've had between the Freedom Caucus and John Boehner. So they may be voting for them now. I know there's some of them have told me they're taking a lot of flack back home for supporting Paul Ryan, but it looks like Ryan is well on his way to becoming the speaker. Boehner was given a gift today by his fellow Republicans of a golf cart with a Mr. Speaker personalized license plate. And then the uh, the Republicans from his home state of Ohio chipped in and bought him a new set of golf clubs. So he is more than ready by Friday so to he head really, out. And he really did clean out the barn. I mean, he could have left this mess for Ryan, and I'm assuming everybody wants to at least give Ryan an opportunity to hit the reset button and dump in a, a debt ceiling increase on him is not exactly a... Well, that would be baptism by fire, and and as I've been pointing out, if that happened, he could be John Boehner by oh, December. Oh, he could absolutely no. I I think. Look, what has Ryan talked about? He wants to get back to messaging on what the Republican message should be, what they should be doing about reform, what they should be doing about the budget, and yes. You may not like the details of what Boehner has come up with here, but it does sort of clear the decks and help Paul Ryan to focus his message on something other than internal Republican parties. Do we have any fights. idea what's going to happen in the issue on on the positions of of House Majority Leader Whip? Is it going to remain McCarthy, Scalise? It seems like it. Yes, there has been no call that I've heard for all the p- positions to come open right now. So it seems like Ryan will simply go into the job of Speaker. Everything else will stay the same now. Now, there always could be some kind of discord. Uh, you know, Ryan doesn't get along with McCarthy or Ryan doesn't get along with others. And then I would think that would be fought out after the next election. Well, I noticed when they were singing Boehner's praises on the House floor today that they didn't mention that the debt went up $4.1 trillion under his reign. That didn't come up in, in anybody's remarks. Did you notice that? Well, Boehner would, uh, Boehner would argue, and I'm not here to make his arguments for him, but uh, he would argue that it would go up a lot less. It would go up a lot more if they hadn't been there to check the White House. Really? 4.1 trillion what it would have gone up 6.1 trillion what's a trillion here or there anyway between friends right uh, all I can say is when you look at the discretionary numbers where they were after Boehner became speaker and where they are now as of right now they're still below the amount of money is below what the Congress was spending back then. So in that sense, yes, you're absolutely right. The yearly deficit is still there. It's still over $400 billion. It's totally unacceptable. But I think a lot of Republicans know the only way they would have a chance to erase that is if they had full control, not just partial control in D.C. All right, Jamie Dupree in Washington. We'll talk to him out of Boulder tomorrow at the site of the big debate. Thank you, sir, for being with See us. See you then, Sean.